0: this morning, is one of those times in uh, my walk with the Lord that I don't know where he wants us to go. I mean, I know where he wants us to go, but I'm not sure every step of the way. And so as a pastor, as somebody who's really trying to hear from the Lord, sometimes this happens in my journey with him. That God says, this is where i want you to go. But I don't know exactly the way it's supposed to be. You see, God has a purpose for us that we all know what we talk about. But we don't always know the exact way to get there. Oh, yes, we know it's Jesus. And yes, we know the leading of the Holy Spirit. But we don't know always the exact steps. It's not always lined up here, 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 Y'all try it and so what happens today is the Lord, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the message, but I'm also a little intimidated by it. Because, you know, there's a time, and I say this with no hidden agenda, I, I don't mean anything by it, but there's a time that we won't always be together. I learned that early on in past. And I was in a Bible study in and discipleship group, which I hope one of you are in you're not, you need to check it out. And this lady, we were, we were at the house, and it's like a house church, we were meeting there, it was a summit, and she started crying. I said, "I said, Janet, why, why are you crying? She just looked at me, she was watching dishes, and she said, you know, John, we won't always be together, so I need to treasure this. And it just kind of stung in my heart that day that we won't always, because God has a purpose, and God has a plan, and it's us entering into his presence. But here's what happens. There's something interesting about being in His presence is is that when He gives us His purpose, then sometimes there's a delay. So here's where it is. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. That is not my favorite translation. It is a uh, translation, not a transliteration. I I usually go out of the New International Version, which is written on about a fifth grade up. That's my life. You tracking. it. Fifth grade up, that's me. But the New Living Translation is what we call a paraphrase. In other words, it takes the main idea of Scripture, and it gives you the main idea. A transliteration is literally a Greek word of the New Testament uh, to an English word. Uh, those would be ESV, King James, New King James, New American Standard. Great, those are great translations. I, I, I cut my teeth on the New American Standard. I'm growing up memorized out of King James, so if I little King Jimmy on here, you know where I'm coming from. A all the people in the room know what I'm talking about. So my point is this, in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, all the online so you go to Facebook, uh, there, Sumner Church or SummitChawlson.com, you can see this. I want I want to, to just kind of propose this to you today. The Holy Spirit, you know, you can see about the Holy Spirit. This is our part three of the Holy Spirit equals hope. But here's why it's so important. Here's why he is so important in the hope. Because I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit will bring hope so we can trust the purpose of god or the calling on your life some of you this week have graduated you're now welcome to the old people world yeah that's right man. here welcome to our world welcome to all people and and so you've got this i don't know Hebrews 6, verse 10. This is the New Living Translation. For God is not what saints... Oh, I'm just unfair. You smell what God's cooking. Yeah, uh, all right. I want you to like this down. It's good stuff. And remember, God is not unfair. He will not forget how hard you work for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other Christians, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep right on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent, or as one translation would say, "May not be lazy." Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and, and obedience. For example, now, now the author of Hebrews in his sermon, all Hebrews is a sermon. He's going to give us an example. He's going to go right, Abraham. Here we go. For example, there was God's promise. To Abraham, since there was no one great to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you richly, and I will multiply your descendants into countless millions. Verse 15, and here's where the rubber meets the road for every one of us in the room. Then Abraham waited what? Here is the prophetic word. God has a purpose for your life, but you will have to wait. God has a purpose for your life, but you will have to wait. And it's going to have that way all the way when you walk with the Lord. If you choose to surrender your life only to Him, you will have to wait. Now, recall from the front end that hope is the vision that God gives you. Hope is the vision and the promise. Faith is the action to the promise. Abraham said, here's my faith. I will go to this land that I don't know, and I will wait on you, Lord, until you bless me. I will wait 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. I will wait even though my wife is beyond childbearing age. I will wait on you in faith. That's putting action to the hope. And so we're going to have to wait. And so that is why hope is so important. Because when God tells you to do something, you and I are going to have to wait. And so, how do we get through this? How do we get through the waiting process? Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that we will see Jesus. You promised us in the name of Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit would come by the Father in Jesus' name, and then Jesus, the next chapter. John tells us that he's sending the Holy Spirit, so we have the witnesses. We have your greatness and beauty saying that he will come and there is going to be a wait and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be problematic. We will question if God is fair. We will rail against you at times. But God, look at our frailty and weakness and enter your power. We're yours. And we worship you. Give us clean hands and your heart. Lord, you increase. I decrease. We reflect Jesus. He is everything. And we worship him. We believe that he is not just true, but he is alive. And so by the blood of Jesus, we call upon you today. And all us people say, what? Amen. Amen. So here's the idea. How can we get through this time of waiting? How can we get through? I told people have made a statement. And, and, and it just stung me and stuck with me. And it applies so well to this passage. Here's how we can get through. You ready? God is not a God of minimums. Okay. All right, now remember, well, God is not a God of minimums. What do I mean by that? In other words, we can have hope because God is not a God of minimums. He is not saying, here, I just want you to live a minimal life. Here, just have a marginal life. Here, just have a basic life. Here, just, you know, not really an abundant life, just have an average life. No, no, just have just enough to get by life. Just. Just let me give you the spirit and measure of minimum, just to kind of get you through by the skin of your teeth. Is that the type of God we serve? Because if it is, I'm out. See, I'm one of those people, I'm all in or all out. There's no middle ground for me. I can't be that way when I coach. I can't be that way when I teach. I can't be that way when I preach. I can't be that way when I eat. Hallelujah! Can't be that way. All in. All in. And so, here, God is not the God of minimum. And I'm begging you today in the name of Jesus to call upon the God who is not the God of minimums. Let me give you an example how he's not the God of minimum. The first way that God is not a God of minimums is there's always an overflow when God's presence reigns. There's always an overflow when God's presence reigns. I'll show you. Pro- uh, excuse me. Uh, Psalm 23. But if you remember this? And verse five, You prepare. I'm sorry for King Jimmy. That's also what us how I was raised.
1: <laughs> Thou prepares
0: a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over or overflows. God is not the God of minimum. He is promising David that. Whatever happens when I pour into you, there's so much that is going to come out of you that you're going to get out of your saucer, as what lady said, and not your cup, so you never run dry. God is not the God of minimums because there's always an overflow with God. God fills me with a it better be an overflow. It better be an overflow, or you won't feel anything by the Spirit. So think about it this way. How about this in verse 6? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for about ten days. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for about two weeks. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord for one hour. No, he says, forever, for a lifetime, for always, you will forever be with me. God is not to God the God remember. When you get on your knees and you call out to the Lord, you're not calling out to the Lord that's going to give you enough just to get by. Went over there, and he's baptizing in as a problem you So you're, you're, you're losing disciples, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist begins to say, oh, 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 oh. Wait a minute, let go. Because he's the one that God has promised to come. In John three uh, thirty four, it says, For the one whom God has sent, according to Jesus, speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without what, saints? Limit. He's saying if I'm giving the Holy Spirit to Jesus without limit, and you and I are going, well, what's that mean for us, John? breaking down with Here's what it means, is that we are co-heirs with, it. so we get the Spirit without limit. You and I get the Holy Spirit without limit. You're walking the halls, you're in your job, you're on the day, you go to classroom, I don't care where it is, you're, you're doing your great job, I don't care what it is, you and I have the Holy Spirit without limit. We are not following a God who's minimum. So there's always an overflow. John 14, 26. But the counsel, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. All things. Not minimum, all things. And will remind you of everything I said to you God is not the God of minimums. So, when we get to the point there in Hebrews chapter 6, if you go back there, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, so when you and I have a promise or purpose in God, let's just go with purpose, when you have a purpose from God and you sense the purpose that God has for you in your life, Whether you have one day, one minute, 100 years left, when you sense that purpose, there you and I will have to wait patiently. And when you're in that time, here's what you do. You say, God, you're the God of overflow. You, Lord, you're not the God of no, speak to me. Feel me so that during the time of being patient, I will not become impatient with you, and I will not rail you in this sense, and because your spirit, your presence, as we just sing about, is enough for me. That's the first way. The second way, that God not a God of memorize, is this, is that God's purpose comes from the promise. Go look at, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 15 says this, that Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. This is a God that we follow. But look what he says. When people take an oath, they call on someone greater Himself to hold him to it. And without any question, the oath is final. God also bound himself with the oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Verse 18 is the key. The reason why God is not a God of Mimes is because of this. So God has given us both. His what, saints? Promise. And His what? Alright, so here's what it is. When God says, this is what I want you to do, when God says to you, I want you to be the best teammate possible in the name of Jesus. I want you to be the best spouse. I want you to be the best uh, son or dog. I want you to be the best grandparent. I want you to be the best co-worker because you're going in my name. So God gives us this promise. When God gives you, excuse me, this purpose, he always backs up the promise and he says, I am with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go behind you. I'm going to go beside you. I'll be your front and rear guard. God, whenever he speaks, he always speaks with a promise. Isn't that great? I mean, I don't want somebody to tell me, hey, John, um, i need to have a car here and I'll, I'll come pick you up at one o'clock. Now, I, I, and, and then I show up. I don't want that. I want somebody to tell me, John, listen. I'm telling you. I promise you. I'll be here if you what? Don't you want friends like that? Don't you want family like that? Don't you want a spouse like that? Don't you want co-workers or a boss? Don't you want somebody who are people of the word? Don't you want that? God is calling us to be that. But don't you want that? So here's what he said. He, I, I, he comes with a promise. And then he says, this is what blows me away. This is where the growing up in a legal family and, 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 and uh, just, it just kind of just pours into me. Not only is God a government because his purpose comes with a promise, he's not just saying, go do that, now go figure it out, little Johnny, here go. He says, no, I'm going to promise you it's going to come to happen if you do what I tell you to do. And then he says, on top of that, I'm going to give you an oath. I'm going to swear, I'm going to swear by my promise. Like in other words, I'm not just giving you my word, I'm giving you my promise, and I'm putting an oath to it. Now look what it says right there in verse 16. When people take an the oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. So, if uh I was on uh then was text on uh 26 of the last night, I was just going through the oh, like you've been in the courtroom you swear in, right? You swear in, you, you. you're not just saying, I'm gonna tell the truth. They, they the courts don't believe you. They don't believe. It, so what do they do now? People can object to the word of God, but they'll 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 come up. They'll, some people even object to saying the word swear. So they have the word affirm. So you say you put you put your hand on the Bible and you hold your hand up. Notice when you hold your hand up, according to the general statute GS, right? The general statute is you're holding your hand up towards heaven. That's what this. That's what this people. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me. So if somebody says, I don't say so I can't swear at me because it my religious beliefs, they'll say, I affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Then they say, well, if I'm an atheist and I believe that God's offensive me, they'll just say, then I affirm to tell the truth, or I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if you're gonna hold you to an oath and if you lie in a courtroom, what's that called? Somebody? Perfect you by yourself. Um, the divorce, and it had got not and so I got subpoenaed. So I called my dad, who's a judge at the time. And I said, like, "Hey, yo, dad." He's like, oh, "What'd you do?" I said, "I didn't do anything, Dad. I didn't. I didn't. Know because I some sinners because I got it from you." But no, I just said, "Dad, yeah, no." I said, "Look, is there any way for me to get out of this? Because I'm in a no-win situation. Because if I, you know, if I tell the truth, it might not go well for somebody." And, and he goes, he goes, oh, no, you no. Know, I said, Dad, can't I believe in this? I said, I see people on periods. they've done something. You know, they just say, I believe
1: not believe in this.
0: He not. Do. he said, no, no, you're going to have to testify, son. I said, oh, I don't want to. He said, well, I don't care what you want to do. You know, he's a judge, and he, you know, do he said, you might do it i so like, this is a known situation. Because why? Because they put you in an oath. And I remember there was an attorney came. Uh, this one person who was meeting with me, and he was questioning me on some things uh, before we went out into the judges chambers. He was questioning me at, uh, excuse me, outside the judges chambers. And uh, I basically said, this is what I heard, or whatever, and that's what I'm going to say. Like, I'm not going to lie because it's perjury. Perjury, it's a felony. Because it's an oath. So you always swear by something greater because sometimes your word is not enough. But God says, listen, because I love you, listen, when God tells you something, when God tells us something, and you don't know only come with his word, it comes with his promise. And then because since there's nobody greater than God, he swears by to himself that he will do what he says he's going to do, his promise. Is that not unbelievable? Look, let's go back and look at it. Verse 16, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath. When God says he saves us, we are saved. It's assuming you go, but I'm saying, I don't like what i Get over your feelings. Your feelings are not the word of God. God is God, you are not. And I don't care if you feel safe or unsafe, or feel like you can be safe or would be safe. If God says you're safe, then i want to tell you something: what you have to say means nothing. You didn't say, "Let there be light." You didn't take the formless world and bring it to pass. The earth was formless and void in Genesis one. You and I didn't do those things. God did those things. Our words are meaningless, so let our words be viewed, as the preacher said in Ecclesiastes. So what happens is, God is saying to us in this, that there's, oh, let's keep reading there This is just so human. You know, God also to himself to the boat. I love when God binds himself to me, because he's binding himself to his word, and Jesus, so that those who receive the promise can be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are what saints? Because it is impossible for God to lie. Listen, God doesn't lie. If God says it, he's going to do it. And it doesn't matter how long you have to wait, but he is going to do what he says he's going to do. And let me tell you something, when he doesn't, it'll be better than what you and I can ever make it. Oh, goodness. I know you want that person, and I know you want that job, and I know you want this and that. And you can make your way into a certain relationship. You can make your way into a certain job, and it'll be a trail of tears. But I promise you, when God does it, he'll give you more money than you could have made 20 years away. It's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take the courage we can hold on to responsible confidence. So what hinders us? So what hinders, what, what are the hinders when God has a purpose for our life, when God has this, and we need to so what hinders us? Let me tell you really what hinders us. Hinders us it go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. This is the hindrance, and then we're going to watch this video because I can't explain it any better. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. What does it say? For God is not what saints? I didn't hear you what? Then why do you think he is? Um, uh, nobody wants to be real today. I thought it was at something. You might go back to, to the other place you go over there and <coughs> you speak. Yeah, but here, you okay? You won't get yeah. hit. People, people, people are you know you're saying? What are person. thinking about? How many times do you think God's unfair? God, i I'm, I'm, I'm single.
1: God, I don't have
0: this job. How did he? How did she get him, or he get her, or he get that job? How can they have it so easier? My health is this way, and this. I mean, if you ever just felt God, you're unfair. You know what's amazing to me? People hold God to things that God never said He was going to do. Should I repeat that? People hold God to things that God never said He was going to do. Why you let my family die, God? You don't care about me. You don't want me. I just want to remind you about scripture. God says that you're missing a baby. He said, you ain't even promised a law. You're not even promised your next best. So why are you holding God accountable on something you haven't promised? He said, it's going to And you go see your grandmother. So why are you better? <laughs> well, I have to give students all the time. I'm so bad, God, just like this, It's Like, we ain't been home in three months. You're all mad at God, calling God on something. Well, I follow God. Why is it so hard? If God is good, because the Bible says God is good, John. I I said the prayer growing up. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for our group. Buy us in the all the bread. Give us what I need. Oh, shut up. I said the prayer, so how come God's good? Hey, he's good. How come sick? How come death? How come poverty? How come things go wrong? How come relationships? If God is good, then... why are you holding God with something you never promised? What do you mean, John? Well, the last of my checked, scripture says, the rain falls on the righteous the love and the unrighteous. and the The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God didn't promise you health. God didn't promise you wealth. God didn't promise you a love. love or to be a wife. Michael Jackson. <laughs> what he did promise is he promised that he would never leave you. That your salvation is secure because this is not our And so to call God unfair is sin. Sin is what wrecks my view of my purpose and destroys my hope. Sin wrecks it. So let me just show you. I'm going to show you just how easily what sin can do and what it can have done. Uh, Brandon's going to put on this video. and I'm going to show you. This is my favorite. I think Francis Chan, this is my favorite, he, I love him, he, he, but this is his best illustration, and so that's why I'm going to show it to you, because I can do it better. So I want you to kind of see what it is, because we follow God, as he'll talk about in Romans 6 to 8, we are now slaves to righteousness, and so when sin enters our life, life just doesn't taste as good. So,
1: you check that. He said, offend me, and then he says, and if you love me, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to obey my commands. You're going to do what I ask. natural. In fact, the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he makes you a slave to righteousness. You ever feel that? Where where once you become a believer and his spirit comes into you, it's like you have to do the things he loves. Otherwise, it bugs you. You feel guilty, don't you? See, some people have told me, they said, you know, some Christians, and maybe some of you in this room, are the most miserable people on earth. And the reason is this, is because you still are holding on to certain sins. And so whenever you sin, you don't feel totally great because the Holy Spirit is with you, right? And you feel guilty because you're a slave to righteousness, like Romans 6 through 8 explains. But then, when you go to church and you try to worship, even here at this conference, you try to worship, you don't feel good at church either because your sin is still with you. You know you really haven't turned from it. And so it's like when you're in your sin, you feel guilty because the Holy Spirit's with you. And then when you're at church, you're trying to worship God, you feel guilty because your sin is with you. Because you've become a slave to righteousness.
0: So that in File me. It'll file your friends and your family. You'll just be miserable to be around, and so people start avoiding you because you're just miserable. keep your job, but let me go ahead and drop a couple F-bombs. Let me drop some F-bombs. What do you think you are going to do to me? You drop an F-bomb at your job, they will say, ah, Your boss probably I drop an F-bomb at my boss. I'm calling you for a job. <laughs> you're You don't think I have bombs like that? Can I just be real with you? you not think I just want be my mom? Woo. There's a maze. I done with myself. My point being, I grand out of i sin. What I'm saying is I'm trying to be grand out of the cross. And this is what God has done for us. So the land of plane is this, is that listen, if you're not fully fulfilled in this world, I'm gonna tell you why you're not fulfilled. Either one the world, you're kind of sipping out of two, or if you're gone with the Lord and he doesn't fulfill you, then maybe some of the world has been dipped into that train. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. But see, when, when we just recognize our sin and say, God, look, it's been fixed, uh, uh, salt and, and, and has, has lost its saltiness, and you've got to do something. I, I love this, or, or the lot that God's given you in life, and you're not as beautiful as you want to be, or as rich as you want to be, or maybe you're not in a relationship situation you want to be in, or the grades or the finances, or, or you're looking back and you're towards the end of your life and you just say, I, I wish I missed, I missed, I've done all this stuff. Let me tell you something that there are missionaries, just read about them that have done more in the last few years of their life than they've done at, with people that have lived to be 80 or 90, and their whole life been dedicated to the Lord. God can do a lot, with a little when a little is dedicated to Him. So look back at verse 10, for God is not unfair. When you're drinking out of the cup of Jesus, He's not unfair. But look what God says, he will not forget you. That's a promise, that's a promise. God has not forgotten anybody in this room. If you think God has forgotten you, then you're saying God is a liar. He's not forgotten you. And look what he says, I will not, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him. I love that because in days I wonder if God is in commanding. He will not forget how hard you work for him and how you have shown your love for him by What? How we showing our love for him, saints? King. but what? King for who? So so right after the song, Kevin's going to come up and we're going to push up what the I'm going to go, I think, really, but good the past, $125,000 a year. So we pay the school, what, 20000 20, a little over $20,000 in facility every Sunday for four hours. Wow, good deal. And so, um, excuse me, I said it, that way. All right, so, um, and so then we're going to get 25000 on our budget. We're gonna vote and you sit on the memory here. It doesn't matter. We want you to witness the power of the Lord. Because if we're a family, we don't do things in secret. There's no hierarchy, there's no thought together, there's biblical hierarchy as far as administrative work. That's why there's elders and deacons. That's administrative work You, You know what I'm saying? But 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 we are a family. And so we're gonna to get to this. We, this is our sixth trip. This will be our sixth trip, right? Kevin's sixth trip? Uh for four years, right, Maddie? Four years and in this open uh relationship with an money unengaged member people group. We we've already put money in there before. We've already given them tens of thousands before. We're building uh, a school and I Because of all six great stuff. God's wonderful. Here's what I want you to know. We're we're, we're